Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. A rookie police officer pulled a biker over for speeding and had the following exchange. The officer asked, may I see your driver's license? The biker replied, I don't have one. I had it suspended when I got my fifth DUI. The officer asked, may I see the registration for this vehicle? The biker said, it's not my bike, I stole it. The officer said, the motorcycle is stolen? The biker said, that's right, but come to think of it, I think I saw the registration in the tool bag when I was putting my gun in there. The officer asked, there's a gun in the tool bag? The biker said, yes, sir. That's where I put it after I shot the dude who owns this bike and stuffed his drugs in the saddlebags. The officer asked, there's drugs in the saddlebags, too? The biker said, yes, sir. Hearing this, the rookie immediately called his captain. The biker was quickly surrounded by police, and the captain approached the biker to handle the tense situation and had the following exchange. The captain asked, sir, can I see your license? The biker said, sure, here it is. It's valid captain said, whose motorcycle is this? The biker said, it's mine, officer. Here's here's the registration. The captain asked, could you slowly open your tool bag so I can see if there's a gun in it? The biker said, yes, sir, but there's no gun in it. Sure enough, the captain checked and there was nothing in the tool bag. Captain asked, would you mind opening your saddlebags? I was told you said that there's drugs in there. The biker said, no problem. The saddlebags were opened and inspected. And sure enough, no drugs. Captain said, I don't understand it. The officer who stopped you said you told him you didn't have a license, you stole this motorcycle, you had a gun in the tool bag, and that there were drugs in the saddlebags. The biker said, yeah, and I'll bet he told you I was speeding, too. We can't always trust people's words, but we can always trust God's words. God's words are true and faithful. And they will be fulfilled exactly as he has said in his word. Revelation 21 verse 5 says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. A great voice of an angel spoke the words of verses 3 and 4. A new voice speaks in verse 5. And for just the second time in Revelation, it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself speaking. He that sat upon the throne is the Lord Jesus Christ. The throne being referred to in that he sat upon in the immediate context is the great white throne. With the removal and casting of all unbelieving sinners into the lake of fire to suffer there for their sins forever, and with the old earth and old heavens of sin passed away, the Lord declares, Behold, I make all things new. The announcement in verse 5 is introduced with the word behold. And the Greek word translated as behold means look, see. The Lord told John to behold, to look and see how he had made all things new. The things John saw in this chapter were a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. 
John was to observe these things with the understanding that all these things had been made new by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a truth about our Savior that Christ makes all things new. This is talking about all things new in the eternal state, but Christ does this for people, too. He makes people new, new people in Him. He gives us new life and a new hope when we trust Him as our Savior, and we are new creations in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Next, the Lord commands John to write it all down. These new things that John was seeing were sources of hope and joy for God's people, the nation of Israel. He needed to record what he saw. These new things are for Israel's eternal blessing, for her to live in the new earth with the curse of sin removed and God's presence dwelling on the earth with them in the new Jerusalem. Out of God's love, Grace and care for believing Israel, Christ wanted a written record for her to read and know about her eternal hope. John needed to write about what he saw and what he heard. He was to make a record of the words that the Lord spoke about making all things new and the words that he was about to say in verses 6 through 8, because these words are true and faithful. At the Lord's second coming, John recorded that I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Christ is faithful and true, and the words that he speaks are true and faithful. His words are God's words because he is God. They are established in truth, worthy to be believed, and can be completely trusted. All who read the words that John wrote are given strong confirmation that the Lord will accomplish His purposes and promises. God in His nature is faithful and true. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful. Romans 3.4 says, Let God be true, but every man a liar. And like the God who inspired it and revealed it, the Bible, the Word of God, is faithful and true. Psalm 119, 138 reads, Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. In John 17, 17, the Lord said, Thy word is truth. God will keep and fulfill every promise He has made to the nation Israel regarding her eternal hope on the earth. And God will keep and fulfill every promise He has made to us, the church, the body of Christ, regarding our eternal hope in heavenly places. God's words must be fulfilled because they are tied to His very nature of faithfulness and truth. So when He speaks They must be and they will be carried out to the letter. And thus, as believers in Christ, we have much to be thankful for and to look forward to because God is faithful and true to His Word. Everything will come to pass just as God has said and revealed in His Word. 
as Jeremiah wrote, his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Revelation, Volume 1, is a hardcover 208-page commentary written by Pastor Paul M. Sadler and covers Revelation 1-1 through 6-17. The purpose of this volume is to dispel the notion that the church, the body of Christ, is the subject of the first four chapters of the book of Revelation. With God's help, this book presents a bird's-eye view of what lies ahead. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Revelation 21, verse 6 says, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. The Lord said to John... It is done. And this implies absolute finality. Again, Christ is faithful and true. And he calleth those things which be not as though they were, as Romans 4.17 says. So the Lord can say it is done before it is done, because it will happen exactly as he says, because his words are true and faithful. The Lord is pointing forward to a new permanent condition that will arrive because he said it will arrive. The one on the throne who is speaking claims the names of God. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal I am. He is fully God. He is As God, He is infinitely qualified to declare the end of something and the beginning of something new. God started history and He will end it. And Christ, as God, will initiate the eternal state. And of the beginning and the end, it is stated that He declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And as the old saying goes regarding the future and our day-to-day experience, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. The Lord holds the future. He is in control. And we can draw great comfort in our lives knowing this is true and trusting Him. We can rest in the God of all our tomorrows knowing that He is with us each step of the way. And as it's been said, our past is redeemed, our present makes sense, and our future is secure. 
Our future is secure in the one who is true and faithful to his word. The Lord next says that he will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. This water speaks spiritually of life eternal, God's life renewing, and of the Holy Spirit. Physical water gives and maintains physical life. The spiritual water Christ gives gives spiritual eternal life. The source of eternal life is from God. In Jeremiah 2.13, Jehovah God said to Israel, For my people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. God is the fountain of living waters. During his earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ said something very similar as Revelation 21.6 to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Later in his earthly ministry in Jerusalem, the Lord taught in the temple, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Salvation and life eternal is beautifully portrayed by the Lord as his giving life-giving water freely to those who are in need and who thirst. Our spiritual needs and our spiritual thirst is fully satisfied by Christ. Those who do not receive the provision of God's salvation by faith during their lifetimes will thirst eternally. Unbelievers will first thirst in Hades. This is a literal thirst that they will experience in the torments in the center of the earth. And then later, when they are cast into the eternal lake of fire, they will thirst there. As our substitute upon the cross of Calvary, the Lord faced tormenting thirst for us. In his agony, spiritually and physically, he cried out, I thirst from the cross. He thirsted so that we may never thirst spiritually or physically in hell and never thirst for God by being separated from God the Father. As the Lord said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The water of life in verse 6 is both symbolic and literal. It is symbolic of the Holy Spirit and eternal life that is given to all who trust Christ and God's provision of salvation under Israel's program, as being described here. It is also literal water of life that will flow from the throne in the new Jerusalem during the eternal state on the new earth. Revelation 22.1 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. This literal water of life will also be given freely to those who inhabit the new earth for eternity, the redeemed of God who dwell in the new Jerusalem. 
Revelation 21, verse 7 says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. The true and faithful words of the Lord continue as he makes a blessed promise to he that overcometh. Revelation, again, will be directly applicable after the rapture of the church, the body of Christ, and during the seven years of the tribulation. Those who believe in that day, if they can stay alive, will need to overcome to the end of the tribulation. In 1914, Ernest Shackleton and a team of explorers set out from England to do something that no one before had accomplished. Cross Antarctica from one side to the other across the South Pole. Disaster struck when the team's ship, Endurance, became entrapped in ice and eventually sank after her hull was crushed. Marooned on nearby Elephant Island, there seemed little hope for their survival. In a desperate effort to get help, Shackleton and five others set out in a 20-foot lifeboat across some of the most dangerous and storm-filled waters in the world. It was an 800-mile journey to South Georgia Island where help could be found. For 15 days, the men battled the treacherous seas and massive storms with waves up to 100 feet. Using only a compass and a sextant, Frank Worsley, who had, a, who had captained the Endurance, navigated their course until they safely reached land and found help. Shackleton procured another ship and returned to rescue all of his men. He became a national hero in England for his courage, determination, and persistence. With courage, determination, and persistence, believers in the tribulation will need to overcome and endure to the end of those seven years to be saved by Christ's second coming to the earth. We are not called to overcome and endure to the end to be saved in this age of grace. We just believe on Christ, a life everlasting, as 1 Timothy 1.16 says. But there is a principle and similarity between the overcomers of the tribulation and us today. Ever since the first sin in the Garden of Eden, mankind has struggled to make wise decisions about an uncertain future. And though the world will be extraordinarily stormy after the rapture, every single person is making their way right now through a stormy world. The only way to ensure that we do not go astray is to have an objective source of truth that will guide us. And just as a compass can guide sailors through dark and uncharted waters, God's Word can guide us through uncertain and difficult circumstances. We are called to simply trust it over our feelings, over our own wisdom, over contrary advice others may give us. Because the Bible is inspired by God, it is without error, it is true and faithful, and we can always trust it. And that's what the overcomers in the tribulation must do. They must trust God's Word, in the book of Revelation in particular, over their feelings, over their own thinking, over the contrary advice others may give them. They must keep their focus on Christ and overcome in that day. And under grace, it's not a whole lot different for us. We must do the same as we navigate this life. We must allow the truth of God's Word to guide our lives. 
And we must do so with courage, determination, and persistence. 1 John 5, 4-5 reads, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. The overcomers in that future day are those who are saved under the gospel of the kingdom, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The overcomers are those who will overcome Satan during the tribulation. They will overcome Satan's powerful coercion to take the mark of the beast to be able to buy and sell. The overcomers are those who overcome the world and its majority and strong social and cult-like pressure to follow and to worship the Antichrist. The overcomers are those who will abide in Christ and overcome the hatred of their persecutors and of Satan with the love of Christ. The overcomers will remain loyal to Christ, either to the end of their life in martyrdom or to the end of the seven-year tribulation when Christ comes at His second coming. Promises were made to the overcomers of each of the seven churches of Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. As we see in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there are rich promises and blessings such as no second death, to be clothed in white raiment, to sit with Christ in His throne, to have their name confessed by Christ to the Father, the right to eat of the tree of life, and so on. In fulfillment of His promises to them, the one who is faithful and true tells them that in the eternal state, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. They will inherit everything that Christ had promised them. He will be their God forever. They will be his sons forever. In that eternal position as sons, they are heirs. Thus, they receive an inheritance. And a person receives an inheritance from someone who has died. And it is a rich inheritance when you receive an inheritance from he that liveth and was dead, and behold, is alive forevermore. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In contrast to the blessings of eternal life, joy, and inheritance in the new Jerusalem among believers, we find the unbelieving in the lake of fire, those excluded from the new heaven and new earth in the eternal state, those who have no inheritance. God will not be their God. They will never be His sons. They are forever in the presence of sin, darkness, and evil, experiencing the torments of the lake of fire and the second death. The unforgiven are listed by the sins that mark their lives on earth. And it's a result of their sins that all these souls will experience the second death. First, he mentions the fearful, which are the cowardly unsaved, those who were more fearful of the disapproval of people than of God, and were afraid to trust Christ and God's Word. The unbelieving, all the unsaved who never trusted God's provision for salvation in their lifetimes, 
They were faithless towards God's Word. The abominable, the unsaved who practice abominations, vile, detestable people who are completely caught up in wickedness and evil of all sorts. Murderers, the unsaved who knowingly and purposely kill, malicious and savage killers. Whoremongers, the unsaved who practice fornication and other forms of sexual sins, the sexually immoral. Sorcerers, the unsaved who traffic with evil spirits who are involved with witchcraft, people of the occult and Satanism. Idolaters, the multitudes of unsaved who whose worship has been directed toward a material object which represents to them some spiritual reality or higher power. Liars, unsaved people who are compulsive deceivers, false witnesses, false teachers, those who practice deception for gain. The second death, eternal death, will be pronounced on all these unbelievers at the great white throne because they died in Adam. And they died in their sins. Again, the book of Revelation will be used in the future tribulation period. It reminds the reader in that day of the certain consequences of not believing in Christ. Universal salvation is not taught in God's word. That is a lie of the devil. But as we see in this chapter of this book, for people in the tribulation, there remains a universal invitation for all who thirst to drink the water of life. In that future day, after the rapture, the gospel of the kingdom will be what saves their souls. If they will trust that gospel and repent, confess their sins, be water baptized, overcome and endure to the end, sell all they have, and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They will be saved from their sins and from the lake of fire and be given eternal life. If they do not respond to Christ's invitation in verses 6 and 7, the final destiny of all unforgiven, unbelieving people from all ages is what verse 8 says, the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And God's word is true and faithful to what it promises both believers and unbelievers. The Bible clearly teaches that all the unbelieving, unsaved, will be punished for their sins and tormented in the lake of fire forever and ever. There's both fire and water in these verses. Have you received the living water of eternal life so you will not face the fires of hell? If you have never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, we beg you to do so before it is eternally too late. Under the present administration of grace, you are saved from your sins and from the lake of fire by trusting the gospel of the grace of God, that Christ died for your sins personally, was buried, and rose again the third day. The moment you trust that good news, by faith alone, you have the free gift of salvation, and you have a home in heaven, and you have eternal life in Christ.
Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.